Romans 1, we're going to pick it up in verse number uh, 13. We're going to read four verses this morning. Romans 1, verse number 13, Paul is beginning his letter to the Romans, and he says this, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse number 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. This morning, I'd like to talk to you specifically from verse number 16 on this topic, not ashamed. Romans 1, verse, uh, verse 13, we're going to just kind of pick this passage up right away here and walk through 13, 14, 15 quickly and then get to uh, verse number 16. Paul says this in kind of his introduction to the Romans. He says, verse number 13, now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, so don't be, uh, don't be silly or don't uh, think otherwise of this. He says this, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Paul is saying here to the Romans, look, just know I wanted to be with you. I wanted to make it to Rome. I wanted to do gospel ministry with you. I wanted to be part of your church. And there's probably no greater group of people that Paul had a desire to be with and to be around than Rome. But there always seemed to be some sort of blockade. Sometimes it was just God led him elsewhere and God put him in a different uh, region and God told him to do ministry elsewhere. Sometimes it was not his own fault. It was because he was hindered, whether it be by a shipwreck or being imprisoned or whatever the case may be. There was always some sort of blockade between Paul and Rome and he had this desire to be there, but he couldn't always be there and he, he just couldn't seem to get there. Verse number 14, he says this, he says, I'm debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, early on in church history, this statement here, this verse, is a big deal because there was this common thought that the gospel was only for the Jews. It took Peter literally eight years, post-resurrection and ascension of Jesus. It takes Peter, roughly A.D. 41, eight years to where he finally it clicks in that the gospel is not just for the Jews. He has this a vision in Acts 8 of the sheet and the animals and you can, uh, what God called clean, don't call unclean, and you can go to the Gentiles basically and Cornelius, that whole story. It takes Peter, we see that in Acts 8 and we think maybe that's really, really early in, in church history and it is, but it's eight years after Jesus has ascended. So it takes people, especially Jewish people, a long time for this thought process to actually take root in their mind that the gospel is for the Greeks, that the gospel is for the barbarians, that the gospel is for anyone, not just Jews. And Paul says, I'm debtor. Basically, I owe everyone. I, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to the people I want to give the gospel to, I owe everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a runaway slave when you talk about the book of Philemon and Onesimus, or if you're King Agrippa, 
It doesn't matter who you are, what your social class is, what your ethnicity is. Paul was someone that owed everybody and wanted to give the gospel to everybody. And he saw it as not just I owe my family, not just I owe my Jewish brethren, not just I owe uh, this person that I'm around. But if I come in contact with you, it doesn't matter if I'm going to the temple in the synagogue to try to reach you. If you're Lydia, a seller of purple, and I just run across you randomly at a, at a river, I'm just going to give the gospel to you. I owe everybody. My life is going to be about just dispersing the gospel as much as I possibly can. Paul is, in my mind, if I could give him an analogy, he would be like the lepers in 2 Kings 7. There's this story in 2 Kings 7 where Samaria, the capital city of the northern uh, kingdom, Israel, is besieged by Syria. And there are these lepers on the outskirts of the city, and there's famine, and they're besieged, and they can't get any food. And the lepers look at each other and basically say, why are we going to sit here till we die? We're, we're going to starve to death here. We may as well make a run for it, go over to the enemy camp, and see if they'll have mercy on us. If we sit here, we die. If we go there, we may die, but maybe not. Maybe we'll get some food. And the Bible says that the Lord had, had worked, and he had moved the Assyrian, or the Assyrian army out, and the lepers go, and they find all of this, these spoils, this food and this gold. And the Bible paints this picture in 2 Kings 7 where they are eating this food, and they're gorging themselves, and they're having this party in this camp with all of this food and gold and spoils, and they look at each other and they say, we do not well to hold this to ourselves. We have to go and tell other people. And they go back to the city and they tell the, the city folk, here's what's happening. They're gone. We can take everything that we need. We, we do not well to hold our tongues. We have to go tell other people. And that was Paul. Paul was a man who felt like he, he had found the treasure of the gospel and he wanted to give it to anyone he possibly could, that he could not hold his tongue. He owed everyone, and he wanted to give it to everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek, if you're a barbarian, if you're wise or unwise. It didn't matter to Paul. Paul just wanted to give the gospel to everyone. Then he says in verse number 15, So as much as in me is, so with all my might, with everything I have, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. You that I've, I've longed to be there, I've longed to see you, I've longed to do ministry with you, I am now ready to preach the gospel to those that are Rome also. And this is, this is a big statement. Paul is a guy who would not just give the gospel to anyone, but he would give the gospel anywhere. Paul goes to Jerusalem, the, really the religious center of the world in that day, and he gives the gospel, and what happens to Paul? He's mobbed. Paul goes to Athens, the intellectual center of the world, and he gives the gospel, and there he's mocked. And now he wants to go to Rome, the legislative center of the world. He's going to give the gospel, and it's here in Rome that Paul will be martyred. And Paul was a man who didn't just owe everyone and wanted to give the gospel to everyone, but he wanted to give the gospel anywhere and everywhere he could. To, to put an analogy on this, it would it'd be one thing for us to say, I want to give the gospel in Natrona Heights, or I want to give the gospel in Pittsburgh. It's, it's kind of a higher level for us to say, you know what, I want to go plant a church in Washington, D.C. and give the gospel there to kind of the, the uppity-ups. It would be altogether different if we said, I want to go give the gospel in Tehran or in the Middle East somewhere. We just had in our last missions conference the Trell family. The Trell family, they're missionaries to the Middle East, to Muslim people. Now that, that really, in my mind, is a whole other level of giving the gospel anywhere. It's a lot more difficult to give the gospel in the middle of the Middle East, and it's a lot more dangerous and, and treacherous. And this is Paul that says, I'm going to give the gospel anywhere I can, to anyone I can, anywhere I can, it doesn't matter. I'm ready. 
I'll go to Rome, the legislative center of the world, and I will give the gospel there. Verse number 16, a famous verse in the Bible, Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And this is where I want to draw our attention this morning. And ask ourselves this question, what's, what's Paul's attitude concerning the gospel? We'll say, well, that's easy. He just said, I'm not ashamed. He has this attitude of unashamedness when it comes to the gospel. But I want to know what I'm interested in is why is Paul not ashamed? Why is it that this man is just brazen with the gospel? Why is it that he is not ashamed? What is it that Paul understood about the gospel and about shame that somehow shaped his attitude and somehow gave him a boldness that I dare say all of us would desire as Christians, that we would want to be that bold, that we would want to share it. What is it about the gospel that Paul understands that makes him not ashamed? I think on, in this passage of Scripture, there are three things about the gospel that Paul understands, and it produces this attitude and this lack of shame in his life. First, I would say this. Paul was not ashamed because the gospel is supreme. If you look in the first part of this verse, he says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and then he adds these two words, which make it altogether different and make the gospel supreme. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Those two words set apart Paul's gospel from any other gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the first century, you followed one of three things. You followed Greek logic, you would have your philosophers, and, and philosophers that we still know to this day, your Plato and your uh, Aristotle and your uh, Epicurus and, and all those philosophers. You followed Greek logic or you followed Roman law or you followed Hebrew religion. Those, those were the three things that someone would follow. And, and Paul says, really, all of this compels in comparison to the gospel. The gospel is supreme, and the reason it is supreme is because this is of Christ, Paul oftentimes in his ministry would write back to the churches, to Galatia or to uh, different men, Timothy and Titus, and he would warn them after he came in and he gave the gospel of Christ that wolves in sheep's clothing would want to come in and would want to distort the gospel or water it down or, or somehow change it to where it wasn't of Christ any longer and, and tinker with the deity of Jesus, those sorts of things. And Paul is oftentimes warning people that the gospel needs to be of Christ. That's what makes the gospel the gospel, that it is of Jesus Christ, and it stands apart at, from him, of him. Paul says this in Galatians, and these are strong words. Paul says in Galatians 1, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel to you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul was, it was adamant. He was constantly honing in and protecting the gospel of Christ and making sure that people knew this is not the gospel of King Agrippa. This is not the gospel of Caesar. This is not the gospel of Caiaphas, the high priest. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And realize this claim is not the claim of some ignorant, uncultured, untraveled man. Paul is, Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
Paul is a Roman citizen. Paul is a man who sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest Hebrew teachers of that day, and learned. He's a, he's a cosmopolitan who has traveled the known world, seen uh, really people in places that most people of that day had not seen. He has a, a liberal education. He has a world vision. This is a man who has a lot of culture and a lot of history under him, and this comes from the testimony of a man who's well-versed in the ways of the world, who says, look, here's the gospel. The gospel is supreme, and I'm not ashamed of it because it's of Christ. This, this is altogether different because it centers on Jesus. Now realize for us in, in our modern context, most of us have never had to choose between national norms or patriotism and Jesus. Most of us, and, and we know that there are laws that come out or sometimes we can see America shifting. I get that. But most of us have never been faced with a choice where we had to choose patriotism or our country or where we're a citizen of versus Jesus. By and large, those two for us as Americans coincide. By and large, we can come to church, we can be here, and we can put an American flag right there, and we don't see any irony in that. We think it's fine because those, those mesh together, church in America. We can have first responder Sunday or we can have uh, this sort of this sort of activity, or we can, a camera just fell, I promise, it's okay, no one's, no one's hurt. What's that? All right, Dr. Gall, you're going to help somebody who uh, locked the knees there a little bit. So, they're okay, I promise, no one's, uh, no one's badly injured, but Dr. Gall's going to help him. Thankfully, we have a church with a lot of doctors and a lot of educators, both in the church, here to help out anytime we need. So, if they're, honestly, if there's a place in Eternal Heights where you want to, like, have some sort of episode, this is a safe place to have it right here because we have, we have a lot of people who are, uh, who are equipped to help. So uh, we'll do our best to hone our attention, and if they need us for sure, then uh, we'll step back and, uh, and we'll help and we'll get it figured out. But um, Paul is a guy who is faced with the decision, like we are not faced with a decision. He's faced with a decision oftentimes between where he's a citizen of, a Roman citizen, and the gospel and Jesus, that those two in first century are oftentimes clashing with each, with each other, and they're oftentimes not at one. So Paul is this man who, when he says this is of Christ, this means a lot to the first century. For example, we know Caesar Augustus. Now, first century Christians would refuse to call Caesar Caesar Augustus. August is, is this word, and we, of course, have the month August, but it's this word that, that literally means imminent or exalted or acclaimed. And first century Christians would not call Caesar that because they would say there's only one that's August or one that's August, God himself. And they would refuse to give him that title. In this day and age, in Paul's day and age, emperor worship is really in effect. And there's this oath that people must say to recognize and to literally worship the Caesar that is ruling in the first century. And there was this uh, phrase that if you were asked to recite this phrase, you really were required to by law to say the phrase Kaiser Curios, which literally means Caesar is Lord. Now, in the first century, Christians would oftentimes refuse to do that. And when they were asked to take the, the emperor worship and the loyalty oath, they would not respond with Kaiser Curios. They would say, Jesus ho Curios, meaning Jesus is the Lord. And so there's constant friction in this day and age between Jesus and Caesar. So when Paul says as a Roman citizen that this is the gospel and this is 
of Christ, that I'm about Jesus Christ, this means something. This is, this is deep. It's not something that just naturally goes along with your patriotism. And this we know in our day and age is changing to a degree. Uh, some years ago, 15 years ago or so, John Ashcroft, who was actually a member of uh, President Bush's cabinet, uh, was really battered and torn a little bit because he was at a Bible college and he made this statement at a Bible college in 2001. He said this statement, in America, we have no king but King Jesus. Now, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I hope that you would wholeheartedly agree with that. But that was not the norm in Paul's day and age. When you said something like that, you were putting your head on the chopping block. Now, in our day and age, if you're a prominence and you say something like that, you may put your head on the chopping block for the press or something like that, but your life's really not in danger. But even we see the tide turning a little bit. We see that changing a little bit. And I hope and pray that we recognize the gospel is supreme largely for one reason, because it's of Jesus Christ. I hope that we would recognize we have no king but King Jesus. I hope that he sits on the throne of our hearts in 2017. I hope that our goals that we're setting for ourselves this year are reflective of Jesus and the gospel and the eternal, not just the temporal, not just your money and not just your health. And I'm for all those things, but I hope that King Jesus sits on the throne of our hearts and that we recognize our gospel supreme and we do not need to be ashamed of it because it's the gospel of Christ. Secondly, I think Paul is not ashamed and he has this attitude because he recognizes that the gospel is not just supreme, but it's also sufficient. He says in verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. Think about that. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Paul here is not talking about social reform. He's not talking about a better educational system. He's not talking about stimulus packages or new ideas. And, and we can talk about those and implement those in our government if we want. They may be good. They may not. They may not. Who knows? But he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the power of God unto salvation, the gospel that literally makes drunk men sober, makes addicts clean, makes uh, changes our hearts and changes our lives and, and takes adulterers and makes them pure and takes crooked men and makes them straight. This is the gospel that Paul is talking about that is sufficient, that which makes lost men saved. We talked about this last week, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he says this is the gospel that moves people from darkness into light. This is the gospel that gives a man or a woman or a boy or a girl hope of eternal life. This is something that is sufficient. It's the power of God unto salvation, and this is what can transform lives. This is what we should not lose sight of, that we understand the gospel is for our own salvation and for heaven for ourselves, yes, but this should transform our lives. This should continue to be what we kind of live and breathe and move in, that we understand the gospel is here to help us and to shape us and to literally transform us because it's the power of God working in our lives. And, and this is what our missionaries bank on. When we talk about missions conferences, when we talk about people going around the world, they bank on that the gospel is sufficient, that the gospel is the power of God able to transform people's lives. It doesn't matter the culture, the context, the time frame, the skin color. It doesn't matter who they are, but the gospel works. It penetrates hearts. It helps people. It, it moves them as the power of God does. I read recently of John Getty, who was 
uh, in the early 1800s. He was a pastor in Canada, and he actually left his pastor in Canada with his wife and two small children, and they went to the South Seas Islands, more than 20,000 miles away from Canada, where they were going to this chain of islands that was known to have cannibals. This island chain, in, in just a few years before uh, John had got there, they had cannibalized people that had tried to settle their island, that had tried to kind of culture them and tried to help them out. And he, he decided, I'm going to go. I don't know the language. They don't have a written language. I'm going to go. I'm going to be with these people. I'm going to live in their culture. I'm going to understand their language. I'm going to put it in a written form. And he went there for 20 years. And he did that. And he interpreted the Bible for them and gave them the Bible in their own language and led, uh, I don't know how many natives to the Lord, planted 25 churches in these islands. And it was said of John Getty, that when he landed in 1848, there were no Christians there. But when he left in 1872, there were no heathen. Here was a guy who went with nothing but the gospel. Nothing but a desire to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and transformed a chain of islands because of the gospel. And we should never forget, this is what the gospel is. It's the power of God into salvation. And it's sufficient we don't need to add something to it. We don't need to take away from it. It is sufficient to change people's lives. It's sufficient to change your life right now, where you sit. The gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. Thirdly, I would say this. Paul was not ashamed. Is the gospel supreme? Yes. Is it sufficient? Yes. But also because the gospel is just simple. Paul says this. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. It's been said that the gospel is, sh is so shallow that the littlest of children can swim in it, but it's so deep that the wisest of scholars can swim in it. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you are educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're American or not. It doesn't matter. The gospel is as simple as the death of burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. Now, it's not more simple than that. We should say that. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us very plainly what the gospel is. And he says, I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the scriptures. So that's the gospel. It's that simple. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins. But it's not more simple than that. I sometimes get worried about gospel presentations that exclude the resurrection. It's, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate the death of Jesus this morning, and we're going to remember, and we're going to have really a memorial service all over again for him in the Lord's Supper this morning. And I'm thankful for that, and we should, but we should not exclude part of the gospel, which is the burial and resurrection of the gospel. That I, have, I have heard gospel presentations that are completely cross-centered and they exclude the resurrection. And that, Paul says, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain. That's essential to the gospel. That's part of it. And Paul says, look, this is simple. This is for anyone that believes. It doesn't matter if you're wise or unwise. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter who you are. It's simple. And Paul is not ashamed for these reasons because he understands what the gospel is. The power that it holds, that it's, it's so simple that anyone can believe it. And this is his attitude. This is what produces this lack of a shame in his life. And that's Paul. 
Now that's great, and we can understand Paul, we can look at Paul, but really this, it would be, it'd be incomplete if we didn't ask ourselves, what about me? So Paul's not ashamed. He's ready to go to Rome. He's ready to preach the gospel. He thinks it's supreme, and he thinks that it is sufficient, and he knows that it's simple. But what about us? What is our attitude as now, fast forward 2,000 years, what's our attitude concerning the gospel? Now, hopefully and prayerfully, it's Paul's attitude. Hopefully and prayerfully, it's, it's an attitude that lacks shame, that will gladly give the gospel to anyone, anywhere. But I do want us to consider briefly three attitudes that I think that we, should, that we may have. We should have one. But I want us to consider three attitudes that we may have concerning the gospel if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves. And we stop and we start to think, what is my attitude? Am I, am I Paul-esque? Do I, do I lack shame? Or is there some shame? So attitude number one is simply the opposite of Paul. It's the attitude of shame. And honestly, this is a defense mechanism for those that hate the gospel, the people you work with, the neighbors that you have, or the family that you have that do not like the gospel, their defense to you to shield themselves from the gospel and to shut you up oftentimes is going to be to shame you. You say, I would, I would never be ashamed. Really? Have you ever been there where you're in a situation and you know you should give the gospel? You know you should share it? You know that you should be a witness. But what is it inside of you that starts to talk in your head and your heart and, and tell you for one reason or another that you shouldn't say it? What will they think? What will they say? But that's my boss. Can I really share it with them? What if, what if he or she doesn't like it? Doesn't that happen to us? And we start to get shamed a little bit. I can remember as a, as a kid driving in a car with, I have four brothers, so there's five of us, but we have really kind of a sixth brother. He's pastor in North Carolina right now, but uh, a guy that just kind of, my dad, he didn't literally adopt him, but basically adopted him into our home. He was always there. Bob is his name. And uh, I can remember riding with Bob in the car, and Bob loved to listen to Southern gospel music, the old cathedrals music. And Bob, we'd be riding, and we'd pull up next to somebody, you know, a teenager or someone that was relatively young who was blaring their music, and he would roll down the windows and crank up the cathedrals like as loud as he possibly could. And I'd be sitting in the passenger seat. I would just want to shrink down and like, get me out of this car. Bob, what are you doing? Why? But I don't know who that person is next to me. I'm probably never going to see them again. But some way, somehow, I would feel some sort of shame. You know, we're, we're blaring our Jesus music. Like, who does that? Who, they're going to think that they're, we're weird. We're the church people. We're, we're crazy, right? We, if we're not careful, we can, in our own lives, we can experience shame. My life since I've been in junior high has been, I've had one kind of career path, and that was to be in gospel ministry and to work in church and for the Lord. But I'm very thankful that when I went through a Bible college and my master's degree and even my master of divinity, that I had spent six, seven years just working at Sears and Verizon and secular places because it taught me a lot about what it means to work with people and to have a lack of shame. 
that you, you know when you go to work that there may be some Christians in your workplace, but there's also people that if you're not careful, you can have some shame when it comes to the gospel. That you can let them silence you or, or water down your message or not be as much of a witness as you're supposed to be. And if we're not careful and we don't evaluate this and ask ourselves and, and really understand the gospel and what it is, we can have shame in our, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives as we approach the gospel. I think probably a more apt attitude that we may have and, and what is maybe more fitting for us is what I would call the attitude of a slave. Paul's, Paul's way of not being ashamed about the gospel was not that he was sure to keep himself in a good light with everyone. Paul's attitude when it came to giving the gospel to people was not that he was going to maneuver and finagle his way through life so that he always got other people to approve of what he did in his gospel message. Paul is very clear in 2 Corinthians that because of his gospel ministry, he says, of the Jews five times I received 40 stripes save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned once. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. It seems like everywhere Paul went, there was peril. There was danger. There was literally physical hurt that he suffered because of the gospel. And if we're not careful, we can become self-proclaimed experts at trying to figure out when it's okay to present the gospel and when it's not. We can, in our own minds, get really good, at least we think we're really good, at calculating the risk associated with sharing the gospel. And if we're not careful, what will happen to us is we're in line for Christmas. There's a long line. There's people behind us. And we think, you know what? I should give a gospel track and just a church invitation to this person who's checking me out in line. And we, we're sitting there. And we know there's three people in front of us. And we're chewing on it. You know, I have it right here in my pocket. I should give them an invite. I should give them the gospel in the back. I should do this. But our mind starts to tell us, well, man, there's all these people behind me. And then we're right here and it's busy and it's Christmas. So if I give them this, this track and I share the gospel with them now, what will they think? Will they think that that's weird? Will they think that that's strange? And if they do think that it's weird and strange, then they're going to get this tract and they're going to look at it and they're going to be turned off to the gospel because they think it's weird that I'm just giving it to them right now. So really, I'm going to save this and I'm not going to give them the gospel because I think that they'll have a greater chance to respond to the gospel one day if I don't give them the gospel now. And that's crazy. That's literally crazy. We, we start to calculate these risks and ask ourselves when is okay and what's the setting and what's their mindset and this. And we start to try to factor everything in to make sure it's this picture-perfect scenario to be able to share the gospel with somebody. And what happens when we do that is we take on an attitude of a slave that we're constantly handcuffed and hampered by what will they think. We constantly play second fiddle to people based on what they think or what they'll say or what we think the scenario could end up being one day and we don't share the gospel with people because we are literally chained by what they'll think or feel or say or what will happen to us or against us. And Paul did not have that. Paul was a man 
who gave the gospel everywhere. And did it always work out great? Were people always happy with him? No. No, they weren't. But he didn't care. He knew the gospel was supreme. He knew the gospel was sufficient. He knew that's what they needed. And he wasn't going to live his life trying to please other people and try to make them happy. He was just going to share the gospel. As often and as much as he could, he was just going to dispense it to anybody he possibly could. And he would let God handle what happened or what their attitude was or what they said. And that's Paul's, his attitude is not that of shame. It's not that of a slave either to where he's, he's handcuffed to where other people are going to think about him. Paul had an a- attitude that I would argue is this. It's the attitude of the Savior. Now in Jesus' life, in his ministry, there are many days of shame that people tried to put on him. He healed on the Sabbath day, and people tried to shame him for that. He didn't come to see Lazarus fast enough. And what do Mary and Martha do? They, they shame him and tell him he should have been there faster. But there's one day, and we're about to remember it here in just a few moments, there's one day in Jesus' life that takes the cake when it comes to shame and what people tried to put on him. It's the day of his crucifixion. I want you to turn to Hebrews 12, and I want you to see something that, I don't know, maybe some 18 months ago or so, just struck me as I was uh, reading through the Bible. Hebrews 12, and I want us to look at verse number 2 and grasp that this attitude of not being ashamed is an attitude, not, it's not unique to Paul, it's rooted in Jesus Christ. And it's, it was his attitude when it came to the gospel. Hebrews 12, verse number 2. Of course, we're just leaving Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, and we're kind of wrapping up this idea of faith in the Christian life. And we're told this in verse number 2, that we should look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and these three words, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that when Jesus went to the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he endured that. And the Bible says that Jesus despised the shame. That as they tried to mock him and shame him, he despised it. As they, as they beat him, as they called him names and put a, a robe of purple and a crown of thorns upon his head, which was designed to do what? Not just physical pain, but shame. Jesus looked shame in the face and said, shame, I despise you. As they nailed him to a cross, as they mocked him on the cross, as they put a, a placard above his cross that was meant to be a mockery, that was meant to be a shaming of Jesus, Jesus went that day and took on not just the the pain, but took the shame, looked it in the face and said, I despise you. You will have no place in my life. I will not let you come in. I I will not allow the shame to take hold on me. I'm not going to be ashamed of what I'm doing for the joy that is set before me. I'm going to endure the cross. I'm going to despise the shame. I think that's what Paul had. Paul had not just a lack of shame, but literally a despising of it. 
that I can't stand this, I detest this, I, it literally repulses me, it almost makes me want to share the gospel more when people want to shame me and they want to shut me up and they want to tell me that I'm the religious zealot or I'm the crazy person or I'm the kook and I'm, all, I'm the Jesus guy or the Jesus girl, whatever it may be, that I'm going to take that shame and I'm going to despise it. I'm going to look at it and say, you have no place in my life. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I marvel of that. I am, I'm, a, I'm an amazement of that. I know how the gospel has transformed my life. I know what it's done for me. I know what it's done for my family. I know what it's done for my heart. And I'm not going to be ashamed of that. I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell Shona Heights, and I'm going to tell Nicaragua. I'm going to tell everybody I can. Why? Because this is what the gospel has done for me. And when shame comes, the attitude of the Savior, the attitude of Paul is that I'm not ashamed, but I look at shame and I despise it. I tell it, you have no place in my life. And, and if, if we're honest with ourselves, that has to be something that we tell ourselves and that we remind ourselves of constantly. Because shame will come. We, we will have those moments where we're tempted to shy away from the gospel for one reason or another. But I tell you, if you're honest and you look at it really and you search your heart, you, if you're honest with yourself, you know it's shame. It's shame that creeps in and, and, want, and keeps us from sharing the gospel. And Paul and Jesus look at this shame and say, I despise it. I'm not ashamed. I love the gospel. I love Jesus Christ. It is the gospel supreme. It's of Jesus. The gospel is so simple. It's for anybody. And it's sufficient. It will change their lives. It's the power of God. And Jesus said concerning shame that he despised it. And the simple truth is this. If you are at all about gospel ministry and sharing the gospel, you will be shamed. I can promise you that. It could be family. It could be a coworker. It could just be your own mind. I don't, I don't know what it'll be, but you will be shamed. I promise you that. But you do not have to be ashamed. There's a difference between being shamed by someone and being ashamed inside. And we should have a fresh reminder as we approach the, the Lord's Supper. We could, I guess we can call it the Lord's breakfast or brunch this morning. It's not supper, I guess. As we approach the Lord's table. We should, we should understand what this is and what this means for us. And this should, this should provoke us and motivate us. This should be a catalyst that helps us to share the gospel with other people, to give them the power of God unto salvation. Anyone that wants it in our life, we may be shamed, yes, but we do not have to be ashamed. Why? Because the gospel is supreme, it's of Jesus. Because it's sufficient, it's the power of God, and it's simple. It's to everyone that believes. Anyone. Anyone that you know right now in your life that needs help, that needs the Lord, that needs his saving grace. It's there. It's simple. It's for them. And we should not be ashamed of that.